0: Pastor, uh, who spoke to us about the realities and challenges uh, of uh, their ministry and living the Christian faith uh, in a part of the world where persecution was uh, an everyday thing and where it was rife and where it was quite distressing in many ways and He spoke to us of uh, those who, who suffered terribly uh, for their faith in Jesus uh, and the realities of that oppression that they were under. Um, And when asked at the end of that meeting how we could pray effectively for them, his answer was, pray that the persecution would continue. And we thought, that's a strange prayer. And yet as you begin to think about it, you understand, you ask, well, why? And he said, because it keeps the people close to the Lord. It keeps the people on their knees. It emphasizes, it exaggerates their dependence on God. It keeps them ready. It keeps them prepared for whatever trouble may come, be that physical or be that spiritual. And there is that very reality in our lives that we will only be ready for the time of trial that comes. We will only be ready for the time of persecution that may arise if we have developed a readiness, if we have made preparations beforehand. Now, our hope is that we will never be tortured for our faith, and yet there are many brothers and sisters around the world who experience that very sad reality. However, the likelihood is that we will be tested in some way and by some means if we profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our God. It may be a friendship, it may be a work relationship, it may be through external circumstances, it could be through an accident, a tragedy, an illness, the burden of life it could be a temptation whatever it is there will come a day in our lives where we are tested and where we come under the burden of that testing so the question arises then how do we prepare ourselves for these times that come well paul labors to the ephesians here that they are fighting not just seen enemies not just the idolatrous people worshiping diana um but they are fighting an unseen battle against an unseen enemy, a spiritual force that will seek to derail and defeat and distort and marginalize us in terms of our Christian faith. Uh, And he says the only way that you are going to be able to stand and stand firm is by donning the armor of God. It's by utilizing the tools that God has given uh, to you. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but it is a list that is very helpful uh, for us. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of Uh, peace now just before we get into the the meat of things notice a couple of things straight out of the gate firstly it's called the armor of god it's god's armor it's something that he has given to us in order to stand and stand firm against uh, the devil and his unseen forces and the difficulties of this life but secondly we're told that we have to put it on Okay, if you go back to uh, chapter four and verse uh, twenty-two, um, or yeah, twenty-two, which belongs to the, uh, where does it say? But that's not the way you learn Christ. Verse twenty, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on. The new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There is responsibility that we have. Okay, so we, we champion the, the grace, salvation by grace. Uh, that we are saved by the grace of God alone. That there is nothing that we can do uh, to affect that. There is nothing that we can do to add to that. Indeed, by adding to it, we merely take away uh, from it. And yet, we are not absolved of responsibility We are told that we must put on these things, that we must be active rather than passive, okay? So the Bible doesn't teach the mentality, let go and let God. No, it doesn't. He says you have responsibility to put these things on, to engage with it. It's not merely enough to learn about the armor, you have to actually put the armor on. It's not merely enough to just talk about faith, we have to live Our faith as he's been uh, speaking to us through uh, this letter Um, the bible has used this image of spiritual armor in the past in the passage that we read in isaiah 59 he put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head in addition we see that paul uses a familiar phenomenon as he begins uh, to speak to the people in this regard paul has spent a lot of time in jail because of his faith in Jesus, uh, but he had also spent a lot of time seeking to persecute uh, the people of faith before he himself came to trust in Jesus. so he was familiar with soldiers with uh, military uh, he, he therefore uses that analogy to tie the truth uh, to the people uh, in a way that they could relate to in a way that they could understand in a very visual uh, manner by employing uh, the different armor that uh, soldiers would have worn. So let's look at these first three pieces of armor briefly uh, this morning. First thing that we notice is that we are to anchor our lives in truth. Okay. For Paul, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God was foundational. It was fundamental. Everything else in life, everything else in the armor, in a sense, is connected, is grounded in some way to the truth. And the same is true for us as Christian people, as men and women, boys and girls who profess to own the Lord Jesus. Everything that we do must be tested against and shaped by uh, the word of God, which is the truth. And Paul uses the, the, the analogy of the belt, the soldier's belt worn around the waist. Now, this wasn't something that was merely decorative. It wasn't like the, the belt you put on when you're wearing your kilt that just looks good. It was an important part. It was an integral part of the battle garb. And it served a couple of purposes for uh, the soldier. Firstly, it allowed, a, it allowed freedom of movement. So uh, in, in those days, people would have worn long flowing garments. Um, and to run or to engage in physical combat uh, wearing such a long flowing Uh, Garb would be like, you know, trying to go to war in your dressing gown. It's it's not going to be that easy. It's not going to be easy to run. You're going to be tripping uh, and falling. So the belt made it easy for the soldiers to lift up the bottoms of their robes and tuck them in uh, to the belt, so their legs could move freely and that they could run. The second thing that the belt did was it allowed uh, for other things to be anchored into it. The breastplate, which we will come to, the uh, sword—they are both anchored or attached to the belt. Um, And what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and by extension to us, is saying, if you want to be able to stand against the forces of evil that attack you, then you must anchor your life in truth. And you must anchor your life in absolute truth. Now, we live in a world where absolute truth has gone missing in action. Because people say there is no such thing as absolute truth, which ironically is a statement which is to be taken as absolute truth but people in the world uh, assert that truth changes with the individual so what's true for me may not be true for you the manic street preachers this is my truth tell me yours truth is uh, is something that's just an opinion but that's not the definition of what truth is of course is it truth is not an opinion truth is something that is immovable that does not change truth is Truth. There are truths that are being challenged in the world in which we live all the time. There are truths that are being eroded, been disregarded, distorted. A big issue just now is uh, the gender issue. The gender issue and people identifying as this, that, and the next thing. I can't even begin to list uh, the list of possibilities that there are. But the thing about that is it's all about how people feel it is subjective. Let me tell you, you can't always trust your feelings, I have learned in my experience. The truth is that we are born male or female. We have an XX or an XY chromosome. And regardless of what we may feel, and I don't seek to trivialize the challenges that many people face in this regard, but the truth is that we are either male or female. On our birth certificate, they cannot write non-binary or whatever term it may be. Why? Because the midwife and the doctor before them has a child, and the child physically is either male or female. We can't change our gender. We cannot change our sex. We, We cannot change our age. I may act, I may feel, I may feel 17, I may act 17, but I'm 39. I cannot change that. I may feel many things, but it doesn't change the truth. Marriage, another hot topic in the last few years. Our definition of marriage arises from the, the, the word of God. And the definition of marriage, the, 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 the structure of marriage set forth in the word of God, is that it is to be between one man and one woman. That's the truth. If we redefine marriage, it, seeks to be, it, it ceases to become marriage so regardless of what society says marriage is between a man and a woman regardless of what society says or what people feel you're either male or female there are challenges in behind that of course but that's just two examples of the way that truth is being distorted even disregarded uh, today as we turn to God's word Paul says we find absolute truth and we ground ourselves in that absolute truth that truth that is unwavering that truth has stood Uh, for generations. That truth that does not change according to the current opinion polls. That truth that doesn't change through legislative initiatives. That truth that doesn't change through uh, political policy or predominant opinion. It is truth that is foundational, that is steadfast, that is unchanging. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, look, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it and you must ground your life in that. That's why doctrine, uh, Christian belief, what we believe is so important. Paul devoted the first three chapters of this letter uh, to that. But part of the reason that our nation has become so secular and so godless is because we have turned away from the word, i.e. the truth of God. To the point where many people, even people who would call themselves Christians, frankly, don't know what the truth is or what they believe. If we're gonna stand, if we're gonna win, if we're gonna prevail in the onslaught, in the battle, then we must have a firm grasp on what is true. What the truth is. And we have to hold that truth tight. Truths like the God who we worship is, is the one true God. He is supreme and he is sovereign and he is holy. And that he has created and that he sustains all things. That we are sinners, that we are broken people in need of a savior. That Christ became man and in his sinless goodness, in his perfection, qualified to stand in our place and take our sin. That Christ, our savior, is risen, he is resurrected, he is alive, he has overcome sin and death. That there is a day coming where we will all be called to account for we will all be judged there is a heaven and a hell there is an eternity with the lord there is an eternity outside the lord's presence which presence which awaits we have to remind ourselves of these truths because it shapes how we live if we want to live victoriously in our christian faith it's not enough to merely have basic information We have to have a firm grasp on what the truth is. We need to know who Jesus is, why He came, what He has accomplished, and we need to stand on that truth, unashamedly and confidently, regardless of what the world around about us says. Christians, through, down through the ages, have stood firm, even with joy, in the most horrendous circumstances of persecution, because they understand the gospel, and because they hold the gospel, and because they champion the gospel, and because they are grounded in the truth of the gospel. They seek the truth, they proclaim the truth, they own the truth, because the truth is the foundation, the truth of God's words, the foundation upon which we build everything else in the armor and indeed in our life if the foundation is bad everything else is compromised so paul exhorts his readers to embrace the truth he exhorts you today to embrace the truth what is the truth you are a sinner in need of a savior but that christ has come and that he has done all that is necessary and he calls you to himself to come and to know new life and new hope in him embrace truth don't just embrace put it on Bind it around your waist and anchor everything else in your life to that truth. Time is marching on. So we must anchor our lives in truth. Certainly we must rely upon the righteousness of Christ. Um, He he goes on from from having the belt of truth to having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate was a sleeveless piece of armor um, that covered the full torso It was usually made of leather uh, and had pieces of animal bone or even pieces of metal embedded into it. Some breastplates were made from molded or hammered metal, um, like the bulletproof vest of the day. They didn't have Kevlar, so they used the means that they had available to them. But the the main purpose of the the breastplate was to protect the vital organs of the body in hand-to-hand combat. So Paul says our breastplate is righteousness. Now, unfortunately, righteousness is often used in a negative way in the world in in which we live. We often talked about people being self-righteous. It's something that denotes an arrogance or or a condescension. Tim Keller, minister in New York, is helpful. He says, righteousness means to be presentable. To be righteous means that I have passed inspection in the eyes of a significant other. I have been found pleasing to someone that I want to please. That's what righteous means. It has none of that connotation of being self-righteous or proud or cocky or condescending or holier than thou. The word righteous means to be right with. It means to be reconciled to somebody. It means to be pleasing in someone's sight. It means to be presentable. In terms of our relationship with God we are we are not presentable. Why? Because we are tainted by sin. And we will never be righteous in our own strength through our own abilities. It cannot be done. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're told in Romans 3 that there is none that are righteous, not even one. It's the starting point of the gospel, isn't it? We have to recognize that before we can come to a saving knowledge of Christ. The starting point of the gospel is this. God is holy and you are not. Our only hope of therefore being righteous depends on Jesus gaining that righteousness for us and giving it to us. It's what we call imputed righteousness. It's given to us by another. It's applied to our account by there's a great picture of that in the old testament i believe andy's preached through zechariah recently zechariah 3 the the high priest joshua standing before the angel and the lord and and satan and satan's drawing attention to the stained nature uh, of joshua's clothes he he points out that he's unworthy to stand before the lord the angel of the lord commands the, the filthy clothes to be taken off joshua and clean clothes to be put on, and Satan can make no more charges against him. See, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's what Christ does. He gives us his righteousness. We are stained by sin, but we put on his unblemished righteousness, and it covers us. So Paul's reminding the Ephesians and us here to remind ourselves over and over again that we are not right with God through any personal means or accomplishments on our own behalf, but we are declared righteous in God's sight by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he has made us clean before the Lord. And we have to remember that because Satan will accuse us constantly. And there'll be times in life when we'll think, after all that I have done, I can't possibly be redeemed. I'm beyond saving. God could not deal with a person like me. There'll be times in life where tragedy will will strike and we'll be tempted to conclude that, well, God is capricious and sadistic and he's punishing me. But Paul's reminding us here in the breastplate of righteousness that our status before God does not depend on what we have done, but what Christ has done. Not on who we are, but who Christ is, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Satan has no hold over us. Edward Moore or Moore wrote these words, I'm sure familiar to many. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. And all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound. O oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand if we understand the imputed righteousness of christ then we will be trying to do what god has told us uh, to do we don't do it because it makes sense or because we think uh, we can do it ourselves but we put on the righteousness of christ because we are obedient to the call of christ upon our lives so that when the time of trial comes when the When the the lies are whispered in our ears, our focus is on Christ and not on ourselves, not on our resources, our abilities, but on his, the one who has overcome that we may be free. So, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, we have to walk in peace walk in peace, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I would hazard a guess that most of us have more than one pair of shoes, and perhaps some of the girls, maybe even some of the guys, have an obscene amount of shoes. Uh, We have shoes for different different, uh, activities. We have shoes for uh, going to work. We have shoes for going to uh, significant... uh, life events we have shoes for relaxation we have shoes for sport uh we have shoes for different things well the soldier's shoes were important to them because their lives may have depended upon those shoes roman roads were rough and were difficult in places it was difficult to climb it was difficult to engage in combat if they didn't have the 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 right footing uh, or the right shoes on and typical roman shoes would have um Metal or nails into the bottom of them to give them a bit of traction on uh, uneven or slippery uh, ground. Well, the Greek word that comes from readiness, or the Greek word for readiness, is a word that comes from nimbleness. Um, Not a word that is often used for uh, myself, but it is a word that you would use for maybe a dancer. Uh, or an athlete, somebody who's sure-footed, somebody who, who is, is nimble in movement. It means that they're, they're ready and they can react uh, in the right ways. Um, and Paul is saying, look, the way to be ready for anything, the way to be able to move in the right way is to live in God's peace. This peace comes from knowing that you are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, this peace comes from knowing that you are saved by grace alone. The, this, this peace comes from the prince of peace himself, the one who has come to preach peace to those who were far and those who were near off. Chapter 2, verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Isaiah 9 tells us that he was the prince of peace. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. With God because of what jesus christ our lord has done for us he has paid the price he has settled the score He has made it possible for us to be declared righteous in god's sight We are secure in him and we know that there's nothing that can separate us from his love and there is a peace that comes that arises out of that very fact so we are to Ground our lives in the truth. We are to champion the Christ. And we are to pursue His peace. That is the way that we will stand. That is the way that we will remain. And we're out of time. But let's uh, just ask the question: Are we ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for eternity? If you are called from this life uh, and into God's presence, even yet today, are you ready? Do you know His truth? Are you waiting? the imputed righteousness of Christ? Do you know his peace? Christian, are you ready for the assault of the evil one? Because it's coming if it hasn't already. Are you ready to retain the the gospel distinctiveness in an ever-increasingly intolerant society, which calls itself tolerant, as long as you believe and agree with everything it says? Are we ready to endure hardship for our faith in Jesus? We may not face death, we may not face imprisonment, but there will be tests. There are tests. I'm sure we've all been through tests. Are we ready? Are we putting on the armor of God? Are we diligent in our reading of the Bible, in our study of the truth, in our grasp, knowledge, and understanding of it, and our application of that truth in our lives? Our job is to listen to God's word and hear what He tells us about ourselves and about the world that we live in. And sometimes that's unsettling and sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. But that's a good thing because we need to be challenged and we have to anchor ourselves in that very truth. A truth that does not change, that will not shift, that is absolutely reliable. Yesterday, today, and forever. The unchanging eternal God and his word. Secondly, we have to remind ourselves every day that we are righteous in God's sight, not because of something that we've achieved, not because of who we are or a, a prayer that we've prayed or a, a formula that we have followed, but solely because of Jesus, the one who has died in our place that we may be free. And when Satan comes to accuse us, we remind him, yeah, everything you may be whispering in my ear is probably true, Satan. I don't deserve it. I am unworthy. I do stumble. I do falter. But my salvation is not in who I am, but in who Christ is, the one who overcame you, the one who vanquished sin and death who rose victorious from the grave. We must put on the belt of truth. We must don the righteousness of Christ. We must live in the peace of God. And that peace is not dependent upon external circumstances. We can have peace in the great of trials, in the hardest of providence. We can even have peace in the face of death. Why? Because we know whom we have believed and I'm persuaded that he will keep us. Even in the most difficult circumstance, we can know peace. I wonder if you know that peace this morning. Do you know that peace that passes all understanding? If not, then come to Christ and experience that, perhaps for the first time. Because when we act, when we don the armor, when we dress ourselves day by day, hour by hour, in the armor of God, we can stand, and we can stand firm regardless of what the evil one may throw at us amen may the lord bless these few thoughts to us and keep us until we consider uh, the other three attributes of the armor of god this evening please come if you are able